Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble, I bumble like a cracker Welcome to the rumble. We are back and better than ever helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we are here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting and at Claims Coach at Instagram and on TikTok, affectionately referred to as the Mouth of the South. Alongside of me is Mr. Brent Hooper of Max Claim Solutions out in Baltimore, Maryland, and we just call him the Beast of the East and the ever lovely, the perfectly poignant, the tactfully tenacious, and the love of my life, the one and only. It's Donna Lavelle. Hey, how's it going, Donna? How are you? Good, I'm good. Always producing and making us uh, twisting and tweaking way cooler than, than, than <laughs> twisting really and tweaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's over there, purpling nurples or something like that. Nurpling <laughs> purples or whatever that you know. That that's a visual that people don't need. Well, that's true. That's that's true, but they got it. So there you go. I Welcome. Mean, don't say I never gave you anything, okay? But uh, Brent, how are you? Doing all right. I'm, I'm still worried, thinking about purple and purple or whatever. Fuck, Jerry just said. It's always some kind of crazy shit. Um, you know, it's a stroll through my brain. You never really know what's going to come out of my mouth. So. Well, anyway, as opposed to double on hundred, there we go. Yeah. Now things just got awkward. That's weird. No, never. Anyway, Brent, man, <laughs> man, there's a there's a lot of um, uh, there's an event that's coming up. It's the claims clinic that um, Jack Hanks is hosting, and I am getting the opportunity to speak at that thing. I actually have a full hour at that event. Five minutes. Well, yeah, 55 minutes because they're going to take five minutes to introduce me. And I was like, that sounds like an appropriate amount of time. <laughs> five but, minutes. No, seriously. <laughs> five minutes to introduce me. Yeah. Don't you think that's an appropriate amount of time? Five minutes. That's, that's a good amount of time to talk yeah. about me before you actually introduce me. That's too much. Yeah. <laughs> that's too much. Uh, yeah. That, it seems much. like a little bit of overkill. Well, I don't know what they're going to do with the other four minutes and 30 seconds, but. <laughs> yeah, I was just, um, exactly. I'm, I'm looking forward to them trying, but. Um, so the title of the episode today. Can I say it? Can I say it? You want to, Okay, go ahead. Tell us, tell us the title okay, of the episode. It's, it's two, four, six, eight. When do we depreciate? That's correct. We're going to talk about depreciation. <laughs> Guys, we're going to be coming to you in three different rounds. There'll be three 15-minute rounds. When you hear this sound, it means the round has started. And when you hear this sound, it means that the round is over. Remember, if you hear anything cool, it is not me or Brent. Sound effects are all over there with our producer, Donna. We encourage you, if you have any questions or comments, to please leave them in the comments below or head on over to the Paint of the Claim Presents Facebook page, and we can continue the conversation there. And round one starts right after this. 
When choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including three voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, and Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. If you already have these pages, she'll optimize them for you as well. Call or message Sally today. If you want to get started, you can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service in SEO, search engine optimization, where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-V. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E. Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E, and she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round one, repair versus replace. Do we add depreciation? So Brent, um, depreciation depreciation in an estimate is what we're going to get into, but first I kind of want you to share with um, both of the fans out there exactly um, why we're talking about this and what spurred this on because I think it's relevant to the conversation. All right. So I came across an article that was shared in one of the forums that I'm in. And it's a Merlin article. Hooray! The name of the article is Trends of Value and Proving Loss Are Important Issues in 2023. And basically, I read the article. Um, I thought it was interesting. And I guess the really, really sort of probably inappropriately simplistic the Cliff Notes, the really short Cliff Notes version, and I'm going to do it. I am going to butcher the hell out of this, but I'll, I'll do my best just so we can get into the, the episode. Um, it's a claim in Colorado, roof claim, uh, wood shake. Um, it seems like the claim, uh, I only read the article once, uh, was initially denied, but then they agreed there was damage, the carrier, and then... The claim goes to court because they were paying zero on the claim and the court ruled in favor of the insurance company. And so one of the things, I guess one of the main details is that the public adjuster on the claim, this is an ACV policy for the uh, for the, the roof portion. 
And based on the article, the public adjuster didn't depreciate his estimate. So he was saying it was, you know, $80,000 to replace this roof. But when they went to court, they basically said because the roof is beyond its reasonable life and usefulness or whatever, that, um, you know, they don't owe anything. They, they, again, being the insurance company. And so there was no ACV or depreciated amount being argued. And I guess, again, this is where I'm going to butcher this, but the carriers basically like, well, technically we, we don't, we don't owe any amount of dollars because this thing's depreciated and it's zero and the, the court ruled in favor. So again, that is a terrible explanation, but that's sort of the gist of this article and we can go from there. So I encourage you to go, there'll be a link to the Facebook page that has this article on it. So you can go read it. So I, I want, I want you to understand what we're going to do here now is sort of unpack the finer points of depreciation and when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate and how we as a public adjusters address the issue of depreciating a loss. Okay. And so that is what the episode is birthed out of. And so what I want to do first in this episode, when we're talking about repair versus replace and how that applies to depreciation is simply this. Generally, depreciation is used in a place where there is a significant amount of betterment. Let me give you an example. Um, a roof is damaged. It's damaged by wind or it's damaged by hail. And that roof is X amount of years old, whether it's one year old, 10 years old, 15 years old. And when they have to replace the entire roof, okay, they are paying for this entire roof to be completely and totally replaced. And they're going to apply depreciation to that because what they're getting for a 15-year-old roof is a significant level of betterment because now they're getting a brand new roof. Now, don't get me wrong. This is part of the endorsement, the replacement cost value endorsement. But like with all endorsements, there is a caveat. And the caveat to this endorsement is the fact that you actually have to use, you actually have to make the repairs. Whereas in an ACV situation, you don't have to make the repairs. You can do anything you want to with the money. It is simply the insurance company's effort to make restitution for the loss that you suffered. And if you want to live with damaged products and use the money to go to Vegas, that is certainly your prerogative. But depreciation is when there is a significant amount of betterment to uh, to basically adjust the loss back down to what it was that you actually lost. And that's the point of depreciation. And what we often see these days is when they make a repair. So let's talk about the same roof and the, and the insurance carrier has come in and they have said, well, we just want to replace, you know, 67 shingles. And then they put depreciation on these 67 shingles. It is my understanding and my belief, please consult your state regulations and any attorneys that may be in your state because I'm not. Because, but my understanding of it is, is that because there is no significant betterment that is happening, depreciation should not be taken. It's a repair. You are going back at the moment. That money is to pay for the full and complete and total repairs of the job to be done. But I see a lot of carriers depreciate repairs. And in my opinion, as a public adjuster, that is something that should be argued. That is, that is, that is my belief. When when you run into that, what what arguments 
do you get? Like, in that 67 shingle repair and they depreciate it, and you you call call them to task. What what kind of stuff do you get back? It's basically the most common thing that I get back is the is the red herring, or I don't even know if it's a, a logical fallacy at this point. But basically, each shingle stands on its own. Right. That is it's it it is some version of that argument that. You know, no, sir, this is we're replacing shingles. And so we are going to depreciate what we're replacing. That shingle yeah. that we're replacing is better than the shingle that was there. So we are going to yeah. go ahead and depreciate that. Yeah, the. Um, it's it's interesting. I I don't see I don't do a ton of roof claims anymore. And so I don't know. And I don't, it's tough because the article, what, what incited this, I mean, this particular scenario is really unfortunate and I read it and I'm just like, how in the hell did they, how in the hell did they get away with that? Right. And, um, I think, you know, Merlin as a firm, uh, you know, based on the, the context of the article, I think they agree like, holy crap, like this sucks. But anyway, sorry, I digress here. But going back to my question, it's like, I don't see that a lot. Like when I, you know, the repairs, they pay the ACV on it and they kick it down the street and hope it goes away. Uh, I don't really remember. I don't have a, or rather I don't have like an example in my head in the last say six months where they wrote up some repair like that and tried to depreciate it. What I run more into is arbitrary depreciation schedules. If that makes sense. That so is, if I, if I yeah, may, I'm pivoting away from a roofing repair situation more to like uh coverage B type of deal, like a fence or some detached structure or something like that. And they're, they're applying some outlandish depreciation schedule on, on ACV coverage. Right. And it's which is, like, you know, how did you guys come up with this? Right. And, and, and I'm, and I'm fully going to want to unpack that in the next round. And that is probably where you see it most oh, common. Right. 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 You know, I, I mean, cause we're going to talk about ACV claims. We're going to unpack the case study that Brent started this round with. What I wanted to be very clear about is when is the appropriate time to depreciate because there is an appropriate time when depreciation should be applied. And there are many, many situations in claims where there should not be any depreciation applied. And I'll, you know, and an example for me in this is when you have like a kitchen claim, Brent, and they come in and they do, they only replace part of the cabinets. Like they'll do the lower cabinets, but they're not doing the upper cabinets. And then we're going to go ahead and strip and refinish the uppers. And then we'll replace the lowers. In my mind, that is a non-depreciated effort and should, and no depreciation should be taken. But generally what the rule of thumb is from the carrier or the adjuster, the indoctrinated adjuster tips typically tries to do is if it's a big line item, if it costs 16, if the repair costs $16,000, then I've got to depreciate. We've got to hold right. some of that money back. And that is really poor thinking. That is really, really bad. And that is wrong. And I am telling you, that is not the intention or the place for depreciation to be leveraged. It's 
hard to add to. <laughs> is it? Well, I mean, I was waiting for you to disagree. Uh, it's, I, I mean, uh, I, I guess for entertainment purposes, I could disagree, but it's really fucking hard to kind of. I, I, I just, I agree, and that's that's really boring. Um, I mean, I just wanted to be clear on how how and why we do it and where it applies because it's not always applicable. Do you know what I'm saying? And so some of these things, if they're only doing a repair, that is the that is the actual cash value, right? That is the actual cash value of the damage. You are giving them money for the damage that is there. There's no betterment. There's no significant betterment there. Now, when you have to repaint the but wall, see, hold on. Okay, so I will I will play a little devil's advocate there because see, it it gets it gets slippery. When, you know, when you compare the, the roof repair, you know, we're going to, we're going to swap out a couple shingles or 50, whatever. We're going to do that versus when you get into a kitchen and we're going to quote unquote repair the base cabinets, or we're going to do this thing. And, and that ends up being, you know, I did a water claim last year where they quote unquote tried to, they wanted the, the repair estimate, not replacement estimate. The repair estimate was, you know, well, 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 well into five figures, like 25, 30 grand. And that's a lot of money. I don't give a shit who you are, but that was the the repair. And so by the time you go reface and paint some cabinets, that's a pretty substantial repair. So where is the line? You know, is it, is, is the dollar amount is, is, is the dot. And I, I realize this isn't the answer, but it's like, so what is the dollar amount trigger? Whether or not you should be depreciating this repair. It shouldn't be, but it is often what it is. I am just telling you, they're looking at the large amount. So if you had a replacement issue of less than a thousand dollars, the amount of depreciation that they would take on that is going to be affected by them cloaking the situation in their own humanity. You know what I mean? And what they feel like is a big line item and what they feel like is a small line item. And that is not how this thing at all should ever be driven. You know what I mean? What we have to do, and it's like I, I realize it is hard to take the emotion out of some of these decisions and how it's and 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 it, it, as it pertains to the compassion one might feel in the situation, and then the, the sense of duty that one might feel in the situation to do their job and do it do it appropriately, right? But I I am I am so aware that it is something that is used very arbitrarily and it's usually because it's a lot of money and we've got to make sure that we hold some back and and make sure that we not just we're not just turning this thing over and take the cabinet situation you know i i don't I, if you're putting new faces on it when you buy cabinets you buy cabinets with faces on you know, you know what i mean that's sort of the the idea now it may be a separate line item from a cabinet thing and guys i want to i want to reiterate this is my philosophy on depreciation there is no hard and fast written rule i again would say check your state regulations and talk with an attorney because i'm not i am telling you how i approach it and look at it and that's where I'm saying, if it is not a full replacement from stem to stern, then I don't believe a depreciation should be taken. And that's what I argue. 
I think it's a very compelling argument. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I, I know the answer to because I know you, but how do you, and I know you already said the betterment thing, but how do you differentiate between a repair? Like what is the Jeremy Lavelle definition of repair versus replacement? Well, I, I mean, it depends on if we're talking about a system or if we're talking about a set or if we are talking about um, continuous uniform appearance or if we're talking about, you know, even in, in a situation like a fence, where, do, where does repair and replace begin and end? And it kind of depends on what we're talking about. I would be happy to address all of those things, but I don't, I think I can probably hit those in the other rounds and how I, and how I apply and look at those things, especially the fence, because I'm going to talk about that most likely in the second round. And that's the end of this round anyway. But to put a bow on it, we have to first make a decision and create a strategy of where depreciation absolutely applies and make that argument stick, you know. Um, and by and large, is it going to be an argument, those kinds of things? Is it worth even arguing over? And that's what we'll get into in these next two rounds, by and large, is what I would say. So we're going to get into um, the ACV portion of it because round two starts right after this military veterans and first responders need our help many of them have trouble transfer transitioning to civilian work and life but they can thrive in meaningful and rewarding careers veterans claim victory is a 501c3 nonprofit helping veterans and first responders transition to civilian work in the insurance claims industry we can reach many of these heroes and assist in education training job placement and support regardless of the insurance claim career that they choose for more information please guys visit veteransclaimvictory.org round two acv so on an acv claim depreciation and you depreciating the estimate because remember the big question is is when do we do it and should we be depreciating our claims because by and large i know a lot of public adjusters don't but in an acv claim guys depreciate the estimate you know you're going to have to take some don't you want to control that narrative of where it is and that is probably one of the biggest things that you're negotiating is the value of the depreciation it is it is big um it is. That sounded like Donald Trump. It's big. It's very big. We've got lots so, of people. Huge. Huge. It's, it's very huge. huge. <laughs> um, no, I mean when you're dealing when you're dealing with the ACV policy or ACV coverage. Um, yeah, yeah, you got to. It's huge. It's huge. Well, um, it's yeah, Brent. I mean, that is, I, dude. I I find it to be very. Uh, I, I find it to be challenging. Right. Now, sure. As everyone's heard me say a hundred times, I'm not an estimator, so I'm not the guy sitting behind the computer, like adjusting the depreciation. I am the guy thinking about it though. And it's, it is a, uh, to do it right, to do it fair, to do it accurately, to do it. Um, I'll throw ethically in there. Um, you know, as a public adjuster, um, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's a, 
it's not easy. <laughs> I don't know well, what else to say. It's not I, it's not straightforward. It's not straightforward. Now they try to make it straightforward because there's a lot of things that Xactimate helps us out with, and I am really thankful that they have that. Do you know what I'm saying? It is not straightforward. Um, because basically you look at depreciation in one of two categories when you start to apply it. The category number one is age. What is the typical length of time that this building material, product, appliance, whatever, is how long do these things typically last? And then the next thing, the next category that you look at is you look at um, the condition condition of this thing. And condition, as an adjuster, even when I worked on the IA side, I always looked at the condition First, by and large, it really matched up with the years, I would say, um, um, usually. But that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at both of those things. I'm looking at the age, and then that gives me kind of a starting point or at least a barometer of where I'm going to land. But then I'm going to drill down and look at this specific thing as a... I'm going to look at this specific product, at, you know, what kind of condition it is. And if I could go ahead and, and jump into an example, Brent, if that's okay, I, I want to take a fence. And you recently worked a fence claim that was a significant claim for you. Um, and, and you fought with it on a long, on, on, uh, for a good amount of time. And this particular fence, if I'm, if, you know, in fences in general, you have the people who take really good care of their fence. And then you have the people who on the last time that they think about their fence is when they is when they build it. You know what I mean? Like the fence is installed and that's really the last time that they think about the fence until a storm comes through and blows it down after. You know what I'm saying? And those and so you kind of have two types of people there and then you make an evaluation by looking at the fence. What type of person am I dealing with? Well, I'm dealing with the person who hadn't thought about it. And then there's the person that thinks about it, that every April 1st, he's out there with his Thompson water seal, you know, brushing it on or spraying it on and making sure that he's pressure washing that thing off and that that fence lasts for a good long time. And I have seen fences that are 15 years old look better than fences that are four years old. And that is when I drill down on the condition. Even as an IA, I was like, this fence has got, you know, it looks like it could go as, you know, it, it's not even half it's not even halfway through its life the condition is really good it's almost a like new condition and it should be depreciated as such whereas exactimate is going to tell you that a fence lasts 15 years no matter what kind of condition it's in so i mean when we're talking about acv and more even into the claim study that you were talking about they depreciated this roof 100% based on its age and its age alone and the fence that I so yes, the root the the article, and then my fence claim they depreciated it seventy five percent, and I forget how many hundred feet, like I guess linear feet this fence was, but it was a custom built site built fence, beautiful fence, and. They, it, it was one of the buckets of people that you described, which is they were, they maintain that fence every, every, like, I think they said every two years they'd stain it, re, you know, well-maintained when they, and it was a tree claim where like seven trees fell in the yard. Anyway, 
what was interesting about it is that when all of the planks and I have pictures of this, all of the planks are like stacked on top of each other. And we'll just say out of a hundred planks, you know, a handful of them had a little bit of rot on the bottom, the part that was in actually in the, in the ground. And they depreciated this thing by 75%. And of course it's paid ACV it's ACV only. And so this was a, I don't remember exactly how much, but we're talking about a probably a fifty or sixty thousand dollar fence that this homeowner is going to get twenty five percent of, and they're complete. They're getting washed on this, right? And State Farm's whole argument was, "Oh well, that the the life expectancy of that material is fifteen fifteen years old. The fence is is nine, whatever it was, and so therefore it gets depreciated by X amount." And I'm like, "Well." That's the age. What about the condition? What about the life expectancy? I I had two fence contractors write letters, like specialty fence contractors write letters that cited the fact that this fence was built to last 50 years for for one through 50 reasons, right? So despite right. the fact, I forget what kind of wood it was, but you know, 15 years was the life expectancy per exactimate. But this thing was built the last 50 years. And when I tell you, like you could, you literally could have taken the the planks. You could, the, the freaking stickers on the bottom of the planks weren't even like rotted. The staples that, that stapled the sticker into the bottom of the fence post weren't even discolored. Like that's how well maintained this fence was. You could have taken those freaking planks back to Lowe's and probably gotten a refund. but it was was depreciated by 75% based off of the fact that it's uh, pine or whatever fucking wood it was and exactimates as 15 years. And so that's what I argued about for four months um, to ultimately get them to fix it. But I had to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth Um, because when I pressed them on their depreciation calculation and the fact that it seems very narrowly tailored on something that according to the policy provisions is very ambiguous. Um, How are we just going to err on the side of screwing the homeowner? Oh, and not to mention like, again, I got letters from special defense contractors and stuff like that, that, that supported my case. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was a fucking headache and it was all predicated off very, this very ambiguous thing that we talk about, which is depreciation. And how to how to apply it correctly, and sure. you know whether you're a PA depreciating your claim or you're a PA arguing over depreciation. It's a it's an ambiguous topic, um, and I, I sound like a broken record. I, I don't have a whole lot of like really keen insight other than saying that well, you know it's a multifaceted issue. It really yeah. is, and and it and it requires its own special focus. And I know yeah. I'm. Look, look, if you've got if you're replacing a roof with interior damage and you've got flooring damage and you've got all of this other sort of cabinet damage and countertop damage and you've got all of this stuff that's going in and all of these efforts that are happening, 
you know, to go in and depreciate the drywall individual from, you know, like when was the drywall installed? Well, it was installed 30 years ago when, when the house was built. Okay. When was it painted last? Okay. So, well, now the paint and the drywall have two different <laughs> depreciation. Right? Yes, and they also have yes. two different spans. And so you're having to think about how old the paint is versus how old the drywall is. Whereas that's why I look at condition. I generally look at it and go, this thing has got 90% of its life back, given everything being well, normal. And that's why I like the percentage base. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's the thing. So, like, you know, it, it, on some level, you feel like you need a freaking algorithm to figure it out. Right. I mean, and I guess if you want to do it, if you want to do it with any sort of empirical accuracy, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, so, so you know, the the walls in my loft where I'm sitting right now in my little home studio, you know, these walls were the, the sheetrock or drywall in here is from 1990 when my house was built. But if you walked up here, you wouldn't say, oh, oh, well, this this shit looks like it's 32 years old. <laughs> right. You, yeah, you know I what I mean? Like, it, you know, you, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that, you know, what's the average life expectancy of drywall? I don't even know that offhand, but it's like like you just said, you you break down what it what it how do you depreciate this wall that we now have to replace? It's like, OK, how old's the sheetrock? How old's the paint? How old's the trim? When was the trim? Oh, the trim wasn't painted the same time that the wall was. But the I, I, like, what the shit? Where <laughs> where does it end? You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, where, I, where, I, where, where, where do you draw the line? And, and then, and I, okay, so, sorry, my, my little closing no, thought on this is good. like, assuming, assuming you, like, everyone agrees that this scenario that I'm describing is absurd, which it is, like, how much time can one take to, quote, properly do it? So, you err on the side of uh, the percentage-based thing. Well, that's arbitrary as shit. I mean, on some level, that that's that's broad stroke, arbitrary in nature. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time not throwing my hands up at this topic. I, well, I and, I and, and again, that's why I go into it. So unless you're replacing all of the drywall and all of the paint and all of the texture and you're replacing all of these things, we don't apply depreciation. And that's the reason why. And so that's why the significant amount of betterment needs to be be really the barometer. Is there a significant amount of betterment going to be here after I'm done? No, there's not. It's going to be a painted wall just like it is now. And the age of the paint is immaterial. And to take this personal case study that that is in the the Colorado wood roof situation to to basically <coughs> arbitrarily depreciate it 100% is ridiculous because at the end of the day it is it is a serviceable while it may be leaking form of shelter that these people are using and to say that it has absolutely no value is wrong and so that is an that is an inaccurate level of depreciation because that house does absolutely have a roof on it and what you're saying is is there is it might as well have no roof on it whatsoever so we're going to depreciate it a hundred percent the reality is is the most that it should probably be be depreciated is 50% because there's a lot more to that roof than just the shingles that is, that's going on there that you're saying is absolutely worthless. And you're, well, cause you're not, you throw it at a hundred percent. That's what you're saying. Well, dude. And, and so, so to, to pivot on that, right. 
it, look, I, I think everybody agrees that that, that case sucks. Like that's, it sure. kind of, it blows your, like, I don't think anyone would argue that. Um, but to further sort of expound upon how absurd it is, it's like, it was never written out of the policy. So a homeowner's paying premium dollars for coverage on a particular portion of the structure that, that has no coverage. That that has no coverage or apparently isn't worth anything. Well, if it's not worth anything, they shouldn't be paying premium dollars for it. Correct. So so following I you know, and, and they're not gonna get a they're not gonna get reimbursed premium after this case. Well, let me ask you this. If it's not a repair, so are they paying re- premium dollars for a repair only? Is that what they're paying premium dollars for? Is it a repair only? And, well, and that's, and that's really my question. And so is that what you're paying is so that we can replace a couple of shakes here and there? Well, so look, let me read this excerpt out of this. It says, one second. After the lawsuit was filed, AmFam's attorneys made the additional argument that the value of the damaged roof was zero before damage occurred. So that that's kind of getting at what what we're saying. It's like, okay, so the roof wasn't worth anything, but yet they're still paying premium to cover it. The roof was never written out of the policy. So I don't I don't quite understand that. And then it says, quote, plaintiff's policy provides coverage for wood shake roofs on actual cash basis. Plaintiff's policy, how we settle losses section states, we will pay for the cost to repair or replace subject to the following, blah, blah, blah. For any loss to wood roof services, we will pay the least of the actual cash value, the cost to repair or replace damaged property with materials of light construction or any other policy limit that applies. So they define, they define how they pay for ACV, but... Hold on. And oh, hold on. Sorry, this is going to be a little bit difficult to follow. This quote's a little longer. Actual cash value. This means the least of the value of the damaged property, change in value of damaged property directly due to loss, cost to repair damaged property, or cost to replace damaged property, less any deduction for age, condition, obsolescence, or depreciation at the time of the loss. They 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 declared the roof obsolete, and that's my problem. I mean, dude, there. I, look, there's you. You and I both have multiple problems with this, but it's it's really tricky to follow. Like that, ACV definition has been in the plaintiff's policy since 2015, and plaintiff was notified of the definition in 2015. Um, sorry, I'm. This segment wasn't intended to be a review of this article because I'm butchering the shit out of it. But hold on. Plaintiff received a letter. AmFam retained AmFam retained costing expert using plaintiff's 2020 as estimate as the assumed replacement cost for purposes of his damage calculation to determine the actual cash value under each of the four defined methods. This kind of got a little bit lost on me as I was reading through it, but their cost expert came in and set, raised several disputes about Mr. Logan's methodology. 
However, because uh, result in lower calculation than either method, dude, it's like, it's a technical, it's dude, it's a little bit of um, legal jargoning here. I wish we had an attorney on right now to just kind of put this in layman's terms because I am really not being helpful. Um, specifically because the wood roofs were beyond their remaining life expectancy before the storm and remain beyond their remaining life expectancy after the same depreciation percentage applies, resulting in zero net change. Well, um, I feel like an attorney worth his salt could argue, well, evidently it wasn't past their life. It was still there. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> that's, for, that's for, my hey, I, I just spent the last five minutes boring the shit out of anybody that will continue to listen. But it's interesting because I literally read this article and I thought to myself, well, holy crap, they didn't write the roof out of the policy. The roof is still worth something because it's protecting probably hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of covered property underneath of it. But yet for some somehow, some way, this thing is technically rendered worth zero right that's the problem that's the problem is that and where you and the useful life was determined by age and not by the condition of the roof which i admit was bad but at some level still had life in it you know what i mean and and to address it and to mitigate further damages as as different storms come in we have to we can't continue with ongoing leaks and and putting a new shingle or replacing a shake is not going to solve the problem in fact it's probably going to cause more ergo we need to replace the roof we need to depreciate it properly and it may need to needed to have been depreciated at 75% or 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 if we could have gotten a reasonable depreciation there then there's a point of negotiation it's like come on you know we need this much money to put a shingled roof on this thing can we can we get the $30,000 for the $81,000 roof and we can put a shingled roof on this thing and we can go on down the road because nobody wants to put a wood shake roof back on a roof and i mean unless you're just willing to take the risk and maintain a wood roof so i mean i'm not saying it's necessarily a bad idea i am saying it's a lot of work to maintain that wood roof so there's that on acv um just to button it up just to button it up if it's an acv if, if there's acv coverage involved guys you want to apply your depreciation and we're going to get into rcv um situations um because round three starts right after this the Pain of the Claim is looking for sponsors, and we would love to promote a business that provides services or equipment to public adjusters, restoration companies, and roofing contractors and general contractors. Examples would be like safety gear, roofing-related products, restoration equipment, payment services, CRMs, reporting services, expert services, anything like that. We want to help you tell your story and get you together with the people that really need your help. So give us a call we can we can get your name out there and we can grow with you round three rcv claims so i am just gonna go ahead and fess up right here when it comes to rcv claims i typically don't depreciate my estimates just because i know we're if i'm involved generally they're going to get the work done you know what I mean? And we're going to recover the depreciation. And it's a it's an arguing point that I don't feel like I necessarily need to have. 
So I, um, in some cases, I kind of like it when they depreciate it, even though I may get paid a little bit later on the back end. But I like, um, I, I like it when they depreciate it because they're they're usually more motivated to go ahead and get the work done. You know, so yeah. I mean, oh, sorry, over here yawning. Uh, on, I mean, on the business side, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, and motivating a homeowner to to get the necessary repairs done sometimes comes in a the uncomfortable way or in uncomfortable ways, right? So, um, and I like when homeowners are motivated to get stuff done because then I'm, you know, I don't have to keep my finger on the pulse of a claim for an additional, you know, X, you know, X number of months while we're waiting. So yes, I do agree with you on that. Um, but to your point about you not depreciating your estimates, I just had a homeowner bring that up to me and they looked at it's a you know rcv policy and he said hey i know she didn't depreciate your estimate why is that and my answer you know i i don't remember i, I don't remember the last time anyone's asked me that and my answer was well because sometimes they pay it <laughs> right yeah they do yeah i, I mean it sounds, it sounds kind of it sounds kind of absurd. I'm like, look, you know, sometimes they just pay it and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I, I, you know, and it fell out of my mouth before I really gave it the thought that it deserves, you know, considering the weight of the question. But like, I'm like, look, you know, you have RCV coverage and this is what you're claiming in its entirety. And, um, you know, they might just pay it and sometimes they do. So that was my answer. I, you know, it's not exactly the best answer, but it's the one I gave. What do you think of that answer? Well, I think it's a perfectly, it's a great answer. I don't really have anything to throw out there. I mean, as it pertains to, you know, I typically don't depreciate RCV situations just because the carriers pretty much already made up their mind on what they want to do. And I don't really, I mean, of all the things that I could go argue about is, is which check some money shows up on is not something that I really want to spend a bunch of time doing. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm kind of in Brent's camp. Sometimes they pay it like with state farm. I know this is that, or at least they used to do this. I don't know if they still do it, but if you send in a signed contract, with, um, yeah, you know, the, the general contractors, they'll just go ahead and release it. USAA, I think, does the same kind of thing a lot of times. And, yeah. and I mean, that, and that's not, why. Not always, not always, but it's not uncommon. It's not um, right. It's not always, but you can start there and then you, and then depreciation's not even a, uh, you know, a conversation. Again, I don't think it's worth arguing over. That's what I would say is that if you can, if you want to set the depreciation and see if they agree with you, then you can do that. My point is, is I don't because they're going to anyway, and it's not really a sticking point for what I want to argue. One caveat there is I will depreciate it and I will depreciate it honestly if I give an effort to when I'm actually filling out the proof of loss form. So for all you public adjusters out there, no, I do not fill out a proof of loss form every time because generally they say if they want one, then they'll provide me the form. That does not alleviate me from submitting what I believe to be the substantial proof 
that the loss happened and the value of said loss is set by me, you know, or, or set by the contractors and the experts that we have involved in it. That's what I yep. would say to that. But if I have to offer a proof of loss on the form that is a sworn proof of loss because the policy 100% requires it, then, buddy, let me tell you something. I will depreciate it, and I will look at it. And maybe we'll talk more about how to depreciate an estimate at a later time. But, again, it's not something I typically get. I spend a bunch of brain power trying to figure out, I guess, is where I, I land on it. Sometimes, sometimes on uh, in like interior losses, particular elements of the of the scope might be depreciated, kind of in a wonky way. So, like, I'm just going to use cabinets. Um, you know, they they might depreciate the cabinets sort of exorbitantly and i've run into situations where i'm calling the adjuster it's like all right we've got thirty thousand dollars worth of cabinets and you sent the homeowners you know five grand as an acv payment on that particular portion of the job and the conversation sounds something like okay great like uh i'm i appreciate the fact that you depreciated the shit out of this particular thing, but um, this ACV payment isn't even enough for them to get material. Right. So you want to go ahead and like advance them, you know, another 10 grand so they can get somebody in here to do the shit. You know what I mean? Um, again, good argument, bad argument. Uh, you know, maybe I'll get yelled at, but I've had that conversation plenty of times. I've, I've had it more on interior losses, you know, than anything else where it's like, there's a particular portion that's just off and the homeowner just doesn't even have enough money to get the job started. it's like, all right, well, again, I appreciate that you depreciated this thing by 98%, but the homeowner would like to get the work done and they don't have the money to, uh, actually, get this this going you know here's the contract here's you know the proof they need the money so are we going to sit here and piss bag over some arbitrary depreciation schedule or are you going to release additional proceeds so they can get the repairs completed um i realized it's not all things considered i realize it's not necessarily the insurance company's problem so I'll put that out there. You know, the contract is what the contract is. The reality is, is that often these depre the way things are depreciated is so freaking subjective that, you know, that conversation usually goes pretty well for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I do realize that if there was some sort of standard way that was in black and white in the policy that everybody abided by on every single thing, I realized that my, my argument would mean absolutely nothing. So I don't know if it was necessary for me to clarify that, but I, I, I did. So, well, and I think the thing that we forget about a lot, Brent, and I, and, and I've got to make this point and it's and and, and I, and I believe everybody is, is going to kind of remember this portion of it because we look at the checks and how the insurance company pays. Remember with that first ACV check, there should be some additional <clears throat> contribution there that is called the deductible. 
And by and large, if we are in the middle of a claim that has cleared said deductible, even if you're down there and we don't have enough money to get the job started, my number one question is going to be, have you entered the, have you supplied the proceeds to the claim, you know, denoted as the deductible here? Because remember, those are proceeds to the claim. And in fact, not just any old regular proceeds, the first proceeds that should be paid towards the claim should go should should be the deductible now that's the way that it is designed that is what the policy says i know by and large that is not what happens um i know that there are a lot of people that get work done and they never pay the deductible just because of you know the contractor's bid versus the carrier's payment those sorts of things but when you're in a situation where you're looking for an advance or additional funds my number one question to you would be before you go ask the carrier for it has the homeowner paid their share and that i am glad i'm glad you brought that up okay. i'm really glad you brought that up because those are proceeds that matter. Yeah. They, they matter a matter. lot. They, they matter a matter. lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you look at the average cost of a homeowner's claim, and I'm just going to talk about like a roof claim here in Texas. If they have a roof that's, you know, 15 years old, they're probably looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 50% depreciation. I mean, if you go at the 600 a square on a 30 square roof, you're looking at an $18,000 roof. Okay, and that 30 square roof is probably going to be have a deductible somewhere between three and four thousand dollars on top of the 50 percent depreciation, you know, so you're looking at a check for three or four grand. But when you add that other three or four grand to it, the uh, the ability to purchase material then becomes available as opposed to going, I can't even buy all the shingles for the, for the money that they gave me. Have you added your deductible to the money that they gave? Oh, I was right. hoping I wouldn't have to pay that. Well, here's the bad news. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that price is wrong. Uh, yeah. You I, have hey, look, to pay. You, you got me doubling back. And I want to be, I want to be as crystal clear as, as I can be. I realize that it is not the insurance company's problem if the ACV isn't enough to get the job started per se. But as it pertains to depreciation schedules and how things are depreciated, so on and so forth, I find it to be extremely ambiguous. And in a, in, in a lot of instances, somewhat arbitrary. And so therefore I feel like if I call the carrier or, you know, if I request in a, you know, additional proceeds, um, to help the insured possibly avoid some sort of financial exposure for a period of time, whether it be, you know, running up a credit card or so on and so forth. In my mind, the worst thing that can happen is that they say no, but I do realize that it's not necessarily their problem. Right. So, I don't not. I didn't want that to be misconstrued, you know, that that I think that the carrier should or, you know, is obligated or in some way to to doing that, but you know. Well, hey, look, at the end of the day, we ask for stuff all the time that we think are reasonable and necessary that that might not necessarily be. How do I want to say this? Fill in the blank for me. Um, 
maybe a favor, maybe appear to the human element of adjusting and settling a claim, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's not all X's and O's. You know what I mean? Right. I No, I completely agree with you. I completely, I mean, there's, there is absolutely, I mean, that's 100% accurate. I mean, there is, we always have to look at all the factors, all the facets, and not everything always factors the same way it did on the last claim, you know, and we've got to, we've got to make those considerations as it pertains to depreciation. I would encourage each of you yet again to check your state laws because there are some states that allow you to depreciate labor like Oklahoma. You can depreciate labor. I don't know how you to depreciate something that hasn't been done yet, but they somehow figure out a way to make sure that that is something that they do. But different states how do different things. How did we make things. it through this whole thing without talking about depreciating labor? <laughs> Well, I mean, because by and large, I, I just want you to know that generally it's just material that's depreciated. By That's what makes sense because that's what's damaged, that's what's existing, and that's what's being replaced. How do you depreciate labor? But there are some states, and there are a lot of high courts that have found that, that, that dep- labor it should be depreciated. You know, I, and that's just by and large kind of depending on your state and that's a state to state thing. So when you're looking at that, when you're look when you're looking at the depreciation, those are the things that you want to manage and pay attention to. If if especially especially when they're depreciating things that they shouldn't. So I see that mistake made a lot. And by and large, what I want to argue with any carrier is, can we just depreciate? I know you're allowed to depreciate anything you want to, but can we sit here and talk a minute and not depreciate the labor on this so that we can at least finance the job along with the deductible that's already been paid? We need to get this job going. The contractor wants 50% down and we can get there if you don't depreciate appreciate the labor that we are desperately trying to do. So here's my signed contract. These are all negotiations and you can and you can make these you can have these conversations I believe with desk adjusters when you give them a good solid why behind what you're asking for. Can you guys de- or excuse me, is labor depreciated in Texas? Are they allowed to do that? It is not. It is not depreciated in Texas. I see them do it all the time though. In Maryland it's untested. So I run into that sometimes. What do you mean it's untested? Like there's there's no real case law that determines whether or not you depreciate one or the other. Yeah, yeah I got gotcha. you. Okay. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a free for all. Like I've I've run into it a couple times, and I actually um I just consulted an attorney last week. Um, I don't know if he wants me to say his name, so I won't. But. Uh, it's somebody that we all know, love, and respect. Ah. Like we had a quick phone call, and I asked him because I've run into it a couple times, and I've gotten a couple different answers. And he was actually the third attorney that I I asked. The first two kind of gave me some confusing shit, and then he was like, "No, like we're it's untested. Like we're working on some stuff." Um, and in so many words, he was like, "You know, I, I don't need to give you all the reasons why we think you shouldn't. You know what I mean? You can't depreciate something that hasn't happened." <laughs> um, That's what I'm saying. But, you know what I mean? That's but point. Um, so, based on what are you depreciating it? Right. Um, based on what? Yeah, dude. But it, you know, it gets tricky. It, it's like you said, you, you're 
uh, in Texas you can't, but they do all the time. And mm-hmm. and next thing you know, you're you're in the middle of negotiating, you know, some crazy ass borderline made up stuff. That's um, you know, you're playing chess and they're playing Nerf battle. Like it doesn't, it, you know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, rule, and, and, the rules you know, don't translate. <laughs> and plenty of carriers. Look, guys, there's no right or wrong here. I'm telling you, I would rely on the policy. I would rely on your state your state regulations and what the regulators say as far as all of this goes, check it out for yourself is what I would say. But I, you know, there's a lot of carriers out there that depreciate dollar one. You know what I mean? They depreciate below deductible stuff. And I'm like, come on, man, really? You're going <laughs> to, dep- I mean, that. why would you put depreciation in something that's below deductible? Are you out of your flipping mind? You can't depreciate something. no, Heck no, you can't do that. I mean, what what the hell is going on here? And so I, you know, and there's no real argument to be had there. And and by and large, I just want to be clear about that. But and and it's you know, depreciation is funny. And so again, check what's going on and and be sure that you that you understand you know how it applies and how it works, and you know have your documentation ready for how it applies and how it works. So, um, guys, that's going to do it. Episode 14 in the books. Well, we don't know if it's going to be episode 14 because I might use this one. It might. Oh, you might use this one just because of the tech. Well, then um, whatever episode it is, 13 or 14, (laughs) we did back to back episodes, putting in all the hard work for you and and soldiering through this stuff. And I can't tell you, I, I have more fun doing this and look forward to doing it and talking about the things that we get to talk about because it's, it is truly a passion of mine. It's a visceral, it's a visceral response to kind of what I'm doing in my day to day life and how I work claims. And all of this is birthed out of what Brent and I, you know, experience on a day to day basis. So guys, we love to hear everything that you have to say. And before we go, I just want to take a minute here for all of the independent adjusters and all of the public adjusters and all of the contractors that are going to be servicing the state of Mississippi and other states in the South. Um, just a quick update as of this recording. And last we heard there was 25 deaths in the state of Mississippi, one day, uh, one death in the state of Alabama. And so we just want to pray for the, the peace and safety for the workers. And, and it's going to be a war zone guys. And so head on a swivel and uh, do everything you can to just bring a little bit of peace before you bring anything else, because that's really what they want in that moment. And listen, keep your ears up because these people really are going to want to be heard. And there's just, and, and take a minute and make sure that the people are okay. Cause all of the property, we can get that fixed, but the rest of it, just have some compassion when you're working those areas guys. And um, we just, uh, we just we we just want you to know we're here. If any of you have any questions or whatsoever, please um, you can put them in the comments below. You can head over to the uh, to the chat that's going to be in uh, on the Facebook page. Um, please press like and subscribe. And if you found this useful, please share it with somebody and uh, tell your friends about what we're doing here. And uh, again, can't wait to hear from you, Brent. You got anything? I concur with all that um, for our contractor adjusters, anyone in the industry, carrier folks, carrier staff, be careful down there. 
and um, my my thoughts go out to to everyone that was affected by it. Um, it's tough. It's tough. It is. It is, guys. You're not alone. Let us know if you need help. But in the meantime, guys, we will be back next week. And you guys stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. still here it's over go home